One of the things we like to discuss on Packet Pushers are use cases. Why do I want to use a given technology? If you examine working documents from the IETF or often uh, white papers from vendors, you can find out some of these use cases explaining how a particular standard or vendor technology is meant to be applied to the real world. Today, we are going to discuss just such a use case with our sponsor, Sonus Networks. We're going to cover an issue most of us have, how to enforce QoS end-to-end across a network to support real-time IP communications. You know, unified communication stuff. So, if you've built a campus QoS scheme, you probably think in terms of cause values and DSCP marks and low latency queuing and so on, but the reality of these schemes is that they're static. They're designed for peak loads in the hope that the unified communications use of the network doesn't exceed those static allocations. Okay, what if there were a way to build out a QoS prioritized path in real time? In other words, what if when a call were stood up, the path between the call endpoints had a traffic prioritization scheme installed automatically? Well, this is what we're going to get into in our discussion today with Sonus. Sonus's Vel OS allows us to do this and much more. I am Ethan Banks, and with me is Greg Farrell, your usual co-host on the Packet Pushers podcast. And joining us from Saunas this week are Kevin Isaacs and Dan Malek. Kevin, would you introduce yourself to the Packet Pushers audience? Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm uh, Kevin Isaacs. I'm the VP of Engineering here at Saunas. Um, really responsible for our software-defined networking products and our uh, SPC and gateway products. So very pleased to be with you guys today. Well, thanks for joining us. And Dan, uh, you've, you've been on the show before. Would you introduce yourself to the Packet Pushers audience as well? Hi, yes. I'm I'm Dan Malek. I'm part of the system engineering CTO group at Saunas, and I'm the uh, architect behind Velos. Thank you very much. Let's open up the discussion this way. What we're really talking about here is, is, a, is an SDN use case, a software-defined networking use case. And we're talking about integration with, uh, with Microsoft UC. So, uh, Kevin, why don't you introduce us to the Saunas product that integrates with Microsoft UC? What are the product sets that integrate and at a high level, what are we actually getting done here? Well, we've actually got multiple products that integrate with the Microsoft, what they call the UCSDN API, which is you know unified communication, software-defined networking. You know, we of course all mouthfuls in this in our industry. We always have to kind of. Uh, turn them into acronation, otherwise it uh, just wouldn't be interesting. But uh, we have really two main product lines that we support, the UCSDN, and and we're going to talk mostly about uh, the Velos, which is actually our software-defined networking product, because it uh, really provides the, the biggest value. I'll touch on just before we dive into that, in our SPC products, so you know, SPCs primarily provide security and interworking functions. And uh, because the traffic within the Microsoft network is all fully encrypted, you really need to be able to see in and prioritize and also be able to decide whether a particular call goes through or not. So the UCSDN API, we've integrated with it and are actually using the statistics from it to be able to decide whether a call should go through or not. And we're also using the statistics to be able to decide from a software-defined WAN perspective, so an SD-WAN perspective, whether we're actually uh, going to use which path we're going to use off the SPC from a, actually an IP routing perspective. And so by SBC, just for those folks that are not in the UC world, SBC is Session Border Controller. This is where you would be terminating inbound calls, SIP. Uh, uh, you could do call routing from that SBC. You can apply security there. Uh, but you are pushing call traffic through this SBC device, right? 
Exactly, exactly. We're policing, you're rate monitoring, we're basically pushing the traffic through there. And then these are, uh, we have both carrier and enterprise-grade SPCs, and those SPCs, the enterprise-grade ones, typically are small customer-prem devices, and those are able to actually do and have multiple IP links coming off them, and we can select which one to go to, like, for example, an MPLS and an internet, or you could have a regular internet and a 4G. And effectively, the problem we had pulling this podcast this morning together wouldn't have been an issue if we were talking through one of them. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So, Kevin, uh, another thing I wanted to raise here, you had mentioned uh, VelOS, which came from your Velo Systems acquisition about a year ago, that it can do a whole lot of things. And yeah, we're going to talk about it in a context of uh, UC here. But, uh, but maybe you should give us just an you know, overall description of what VelOS is all about. So VelOS is a network operating system. So what it actually does is it allows you to fully automate the flows through a network. So end-to-end, you can basically control the bandwidth, you can control the packet marking, you can control the DCP, even MPLS values, all within the network. So, and it sees end-to-end, it maps the path out, it knows all the different paths throughout the network. So it's able to actually control through a programmable API all particular flows. And this is really the true essence of SDN. And this is why it's such a great fit for this UCSDN API, because the UCSDN API effectively becomes an application that controls the network. Okay. Now, you said a lot of capabilities there that VelOS has. Is there a specific kind of network that this works with? Like, it's got to be an OpenFlow-enabled network, or...? Well, Utopia would be an OpenFlow network with uh, VelOS basically controlling the OpenFlow switches. Though there's no reason why you couldn't have an existing network sitting, you know, whether it be a um, single vendor-powered or an MPLS network, and you simply would take and and add these... OpenFlow switches to the network to to meter over those those contexts. So perfectly doable. It doesn't have to be OpenFlow, but uh, you know OpenFlow gives us the most flexibility and it gives us the most power. Okay, so we've got VelOS. We've got a network that it can work with to uh, impact paths, and we've got an integration here with Skype for Business, formerly uh, Microsoft Link. Talk about that integration. What pieces are actually talking to each other, and what are they talking about? So what happens is, is as you actually start up a Skype for Business call, right? So you basically escalate it to other voice or video. The UCSDN API from basically the role known as the front end in the, in the Microsoft terms, it talks to a UCSDN controller, and uh, this control well, it's not really a controller, but it's the a- an API interface you can think of it. Uh, it sends us a REST message that says this is the Skype for Business call flow that's going on. So it gives us the full five tuple, it tells us the codec, it tells us how much bandwidth it needs, it tells us basically everything we need to know end-to-end about it. So it has the full path intent, you know, what those endpoints are, and we even know if you're changing between different modalities. So if you go and you start off as a voice call and you shift to video, you add desktop sharing, all that information is pushed to us. So that gives us a huge amount of power to effectively control the network and guarantee that that traffic will make it through if it's able to, right? And make sure that we prioritize that traffic. 
and make sure that we meter that traffic and that nothing else impacts that traffic. Because as you, you're probably aware, real-time traffic is you know, rather sensitive. Unlike uh, regular email, which if it's delayed by a couple of milliseconds, you don't even notice. Real-time traffic is <laughs> a different be, story. Email could be delayed for, I used to have a 15-minute rule on email. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, everybody can accept 15 minutes on email, but on voice calls, they'll drop out, on, you know, once you get out, what, a jitter of more than 100 milliseconds. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, from a latency perspective, you go past about 150 and people start talking over each other. Yeah. So voice is very sensitive. Video is sensitive, but, you know, in a different way. People don't like it when it pixelates, but if it pixelates, they'll tolerate it and keep going. If there's any dropouts in, in the audio, it becomes unintelligible. And immediately you go, oh, no, I'm not going to uh, continue with this. This, this system is, it sucks. You know, that's the immediate thing I'll jump to. <laughs> so, okay, so you have to program Skype for Business to be aware of the uh, VeloS. Well, is, is it a controller? Would you describe it as a controller? It's the other way around, really. So it basically feeds us with the information to program the network. Yes. So, uh, yep. Uh, yeah. So, so it's basically an API. At the moment, it's a, basically a single direction API. So it's sending us this REST message every time the network, basically every time a call starts up, and every time a call changes. And we even got messages if the call quality decreases for some reason. So if there's actually you know something going wrong with it, those messages come over and provide the full context of what's being used for that packet flow. So was that a generic connector, or did you guys have to partner with Microsoft to pull this off? So we partnered with Microsoft. Uh, it was something that's been worked on, actually. It, it started off in the, in the Wi-Fi realm. So being able to prioritize and make sure that Wi-Fi flows, you know, the voice flows, once again, being very sensitive, were protected in the Wi-Fi network. And then it evolved into also supporting a lot of monitoring tools like Event Zero and Nectar and those kind of guys, you know, the IT Pro tools. And then uh, we took that API and we work with them closely to do the mid-call updates and actually now this, this two-directional piece as well. And uh, that's really, it's the way it's, it is today. It's a perfect fit to be able to provide that path intent and make sure that we reserve those network resources and that we really are taking the shortest path. We can reroute other traffic around the longer paths, all that kind of stuff. So we get that, that constant, perfect connection that's needed for that real-time traffic. Well, and calls have limited lifespans. You know, they're going to be yeah. anywhere seconds to several minutes to maybe a couple hours. But whatever they are, they're finite in length. I assume there's a teardown process when a call is disconnected? There is, exactly. And we get another message when that happens, and then we're able to clean up all the flows from that point. So maybe we should get more into some of the nuts and bolts of how this thing works now, because this is, um, <laughs> at this point in the conversation, it's all, you know, a unicorn just galloped by, there was a rainbow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how, how does this work? I mean, the, you know, the passing the information back and forth is straightforward enough, but when Velos is aware of a call, what are the next steps? What's actually going on to program forwarding tables and, uh, you know, QoS and so on? So basically, as I mentioned, the Velos system maps out the full network and knows all the switches that are involved in the flow, knows exactly which is the shortest possible paths. And then there's actual open flow messages that are sent down to those switches to program the forwarding tables. And for example, to set the DSCP values to make sure that they, they prioritize because generally speaking, you cannot trust the clients 
from a DSCP perspective. So you're going to make sure that your TOS and your QoS is set correctly, so you have the right level there. Is, that, also, because, um, is that because clients set them themselves or override or because you just can't trust users? Not yeah, to it's a combination of three, really. It's you can't trust users because, of course, you get smart, in quote, users who like to set all their traffic as high priority. So the best way to do it is, and because the Scuffer business traffic is all encrypted, you can't really do this through DPI reliably. So from the SDN API, the UCSDN API, we actually know exactly which flows they are, so we can make sure that only that traffic is prioritized. So, yeah, you get malicious users, which you'll be surprised how many there are. Since you're not trusting what might flow in from you know uh, the user port itself, is it at that ingress port that you are saying mark the traffic thusly? It is, and then we can actually make sure it's true all the way through the network too. Because we have a, an end-to-end flow from the API, we can make sure it's, it's mapped the whole way through. So you're going to set a DSCP value? Do you bother with cost at all, layer two stuff, or is it just you're worried about layer three? Uh, primarily layer three, but uh, there's no reason why we couldn't do it at layer two as well. We effectively would make sure that it's front up in the queue as far as that switch goes as well to make sure that it's, it's front-ended. Uh, the other the other problem too with uh, with DSCP and running through it is obviously a lot of switches, uh, you know, older LAN switches tend to drop tags. So we find a number of cases where just on the local LAN, the tags don't make it to us correctly. So that's just another reason why we need to, to re-tag them. Yeah, that's a default behavior of a lot of switches, depending on how you, if you haven't built a trust domain within your end-to-end QoS system, exactly. the default behavior will be, uh, I don't trust this value, strip it when it comes in the door. Yep. I mean, the number of enterprise deployments that we've seen where the, the QoS is not set up correctly is just astounding. And and even <laughs> and even in the modern cloud... Probably all of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it might have been modern, configured right three or four years ago, but over time it degrades. Exactly. If, I mean, assuming it was right three or four years ago, but over time, it's that visibility that SDN controllers or applications can bring to actually say, is this configuration actually coherent? Like, is the access list at one end actually matching the access list at the other? Exactly. I mean, we, we actually finally have a way where we can actually see end-to-end in the network what's actually being set up all the way mm. through versus going hop by hop, configuring every single switch along the way one by one, making sure and you know just one has to be off and it'll throw the whole network out. So, mm. yeah, as you say, you know, configuration rot is a real problem. So, you mm-hmm. know, SDN allows us to avoid all of that because we know that it went through end-to-end. So we've marked this packet at, at ingress and you're going to, you're going to enforce that mark uh, that is preserved throughout the switching infrastructure. Uh, but there's also, well, you mentioned a couple of things here. I mean, when when I think about QoS, one of the things I think about is queuing. What if I have congestion and I need to prioritize traffic leaving a port at a given time? Is congestion something you worry about it a is. whole lot? Okay. It is. And uh, to be honest, that's probably one of the most more advanced parts of OpenFlow that we use explicitly, and that's the metering. So being able to actually make sure that we provide a guaranteed amount of bandwidth for these real-time flows and that we throttle back the other flows in the network. So this, like, for example, the audio call comes up. It's, uh, you know, it's a wideband audio call. It's using about 90 kilobits of data to be able to push the audio call through. We make sure that that is definitely reserved. And then if it was a you know, 10 meg pipe, we'd make sure everything else flowing through the network was restricted back you know, under 
what the total is and as more and more come up and that metering is is what's key in making sure that you don't have any congestion happening because there's nothing worse than you've got a voice code going on it's fine somebody starts up a file transfer to move a four gig file across the network and you know wham the audio quality goes to hell so by metering it sounds like we're describing either policing or traffic shaping where you're taking bulk traffic and making sure it doesn't exceed a certain rate so that there's headroom left for voice traffic to go through yeah, we actually do both. We meter both the voice traffic and we meter the bulk traffic. So we make sure that we've actually reserved enough bandwidth for the voice traffic, and then if it escalates the video, video traffic, etc. And we also will push back the bulk traffic. So the metering operation within OpenFlow is actually carving out a time slice. That's, that means you can handle a certain amount of bandwidth going through it at a time. Yeah, exactly. And it's down to the five-tuple flow too, right? So you can do things like saying, I want to make sure that the voice traffic gets guaranteed bandwidth no matter what for everybody. And then the video, we could say, well, we could actually slightly oversubscribe that because those are all separate flows, right? They're all separate RTP streams. So we can actually do that and have that as slightly lower priority in you know, a bigger queue. And then on top of that, we actually have the best effort, which would be the, you know, the email, the file transfers, all that kind of stuff, the bulk traffic, as you said. How do we deal with uh, security problems? Packets trying to be part of the flow that are not, and you know, is there a way you can you know, enforce legitimate traffic going through this flow? That's one of the brilliance of it actually coming from the application is that we can exactly do that. So we can set up basically policed flows and say that, okay, we know this is a legitimate flow. So this audio flow, it's a real audio flow. It's going to be 50 packets per second. We're going to allow that to do 50 packets per second and flow through. If we find on that flow, all of a sudden we're getting 300,000 packets per second, we're just going to drop those because it's going to exceed the, the meter for that. So just like what we, we actually very similar to what we do in our session border controls. This is the, you know, the, the onus of the security stuff is basically by knowing what traffic you have in it, you can actually police it and make sure that if the traffic doesn't fit the pattern it's supposed to be, you drop it. And that basically allows you to protect your network by only allowing allowed traffic to work on it. Well, that would protect the network at a high level, right? Do we also get to preserve the legitimate phone conversation? Or at that point, it's kind of like, eh, something bad happened to this conversation, we're going to kill it. If it happened on a known port, unfortunately, that one's going to be, you're not going to have any luck on that one. Because if you've you've been told that it's going to be 50 packets per second and it gets 300 packets per second, you're going to you're going to rate limit it, and you know there's no real way out of it. And yeah, you're limiting the flow. You're not actually doing you know packet by packet inspection, trying to pick out good ones and bad ones. You're just saying the flow just got way too fast. We're killing this thing. Exactly. I mean, this thing's got to be rogue, right? There's no way that this is legitimate. Right. However, generally speaking, I mean, statistically, the chance of that happening is impossible, right? It's incredibly, incredibly low. Having the exact same five-tuple flow as the flow you're already using, it's highly unlikely. Hmm. What's, what's more likely is that 300,000 packets per second flow is going to come on a different five-tuple to what your voice conversation is. And in that case, the voice conversation will be perfectly preserved, and that uh, rogue flow will basically just be stopped. I mean, it's not like you could do packet inspection anyway. I mean, it's an encrypted flow. Exactly, exactly. So it gives you the best of both worlds because it, you effectively got the way of uh, knowing that it's a legitimate flow, metering it to what it should be, and then if for some reason a badly behaved device comes along or if, let's say, you get a badly behaved endpoint, you know, that, that particular flow is not going to work regardless, right? There's no, there's no real way out of that. Now, Dan, you've been awfully quiet in the background there. Did you have anything to add to this? 
Yeah, many of the things Kevin mentioned, of course, is exactly what we do. One of the things that uh, you think about is the quality of experience of the call. You know, that's what the that's what this was all about was ensuring an end-to-end call. But I think some of the other things, you know, as you touched on some of the security and and other aspects. So you think about the quality of experience using this API, but there are a variety of other use cases that also appear. You can have a cloud service provider, for example, where we can use this information to actually better control their internal network in terms of customer isolation, uh, ensuring that public-private networks are properly isolated and secured. So in addition to simply providing an end-to-end call, this information allows us a much higher level control of a network in ways that are are beyond simply providing a high-quality end-to-end call. So really what we're describing is two different use cases for the same set of information. I can use this as an enterprise consumer of unified communications on my Microsoft infrastructure with Skype for Business and guarantee call quality across my uh, network. Or I could be a cloud service provider and use that same set of information in other ways for security, for call separation, or customer separation, uh, et cetera. Exactly. I mean, we can even do FOSPATH. So, for example, especially as a cloud service provider, you actually need to have the ability to go from a public to a private network. Uh, you need to be able to set up NAT pinholes. You need to be able to actually have it so the traffic don't have to run through a DPI and have that uh, additional overhead of going through all that firewall every time. So, the cloud service provider is a great example of this. You know, it's the same technology and the same network rationale, either applied to an enterprise network, you know, an enterprise WAN effectively with these open flow switches, or it could be in a cloud service provider's actual core network, or it could be in the actual you know, cloud itself. So you, the same rationale applies all the way through because it's all the same problem. It's all trying to make sure that you have a good quality path between the user and the cloud. And digging deeper into the nuts and bolts of this, you know, we've sort of touched on it uh, in this call, but this is all encrypted UDP traffic. So it isn't anything that you can DPI or firewalls can, can really assist with. We have to know what this traffic is from the point of the application, and then we can actually apply the proper flows and policies in the network to ensure that it's protected and it being the network is protected as well as the data flows. And that's a key difference from where we were, say, just a few years ago, where voice was unencrypted, running in the clear on UDP, well-defined yep. UDP ports. And now it's this encrypted flow. You can't make, you know, just highly discriminatory decisions around, you know, which way you want to do it or how you want to handle it. It all just looks like packets to a normal device. It's just an encrypted packet. There's a little bit of metadata in the header, but that's it. You can't do much unless you've got something sophisticated to detect that. Exactly, and you try and detect it, and there are DPIs that try to detect it, but you know it's a it's a constant moving target, and more than likely, if you get it wrong, you're you're effectively going to make the situation even worse because you're going to be prioritizing the wrong traffic. Whereas this is an, a true, authenticated, guaranteed to be voice mm. real time traffic. The key part of that, of course, is you're talking to the Skype Link server to get data about the configuration of the clients and the configuration of the application itself. It's not you're not blindly just sitting in the network crossing your fingers that you know everything. Yeah. And this is really it's the utopia for software defined networking because you've now the whole idea of software defined networking is you've got that end to end network view, you're looking at all from one you know single pane of glass. Now you've actually got the application controlling the network. 
which you know we've done this in other parts with Velos with with non real time applications, you know banking transactions, etc. Where those apps talk to our API, but one of the you know one of the reasons that you know Velos was so attractive to us at Sonus was the the just the whole possibilities with real time traffic and being able to prioritize it and have the actual application yep. in this case the voice that you see the video control the network. It's almost like the network's not as relevant as actually the application plugging into the to the link for business server. That's the bit that really matters. Yeah, you're you're, you're finally connecting all the layers together. Right? Yeah, like it's it's <laughs> yeah. like we spend all of our time arguing about the network and flows and packets. But actually, the key thing here is I've got all the configuration data in there over the top. And the second part about the controller is the visibility. You can then see um, because the controller is seeing what link sees. You've got meaningful names against the flows as well. Yeah, and so you actually can look in the network, you're seeing what's going on, you can actually see exactly that. You can see particular, you can even see down to the username, you know, whether you allow it or not, it's up to you. But you could see all that information is provided in the API, right? The URIs, the codecs, all that information is there. So you, you can actually set policies and decide that, oh, you really want the earnings call to have the highest priority, you know, bar none, the CEO's call to have incredibly high priority. But, you know, the 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 person that um, happens to be making the coffee for the day could probably be lower priority. So <laughs> well, yeah, that said, the coffee is very important. The coffee is very important, especially <laughs> at seven a.m. in the morning, like you guys are at. But I mean, I think the key here is to say you're not getting that data from the packet itself. The days of inspecting the packet are passing us by, because yep. the payloads are encrypted. Link encrypts all of the packets now between the client and the server. So the only way you can get that information about a call is by plugging into the link for business server. Your average router with a QoS policy is never going to be able to do that. It's never going to give you meaningful QoS policies as we go forward because it just doesn't have access to the information. Yeah, I mean, as I like to say, you know, DPR was the last decade's solution. Effectively, it's it's a good guess, right? In reality, it's it's just a good well, guess. Well, DPI work, you could inspect 512 bytes into the packet. Yeah. <laughs> and get meaningful information when it wasn't encrypted. But once you encrypt it and it all randomized, and the second part was DPI doesn't scale. Like when you get to multi-gigabit levels of traffic loads, DPI becomes hard. Even though we have better CPUs, it's impossible to continue to scale up past a couple of gigabits per second and inspect 512 bytes out of every packet. Exactly. And to Dan's point, right, when you go to the cloud and now you've got millions of flows, right, and going to different tenants and different tenants you want to keep, DPI now becomes mission impossible. Right? You could build a, you know, a, effectively a massive server farm, which, you know, compute today, it's all elastic, you could do that. But it's far more cost-effective and far more accurate if you actually know what the flows are rather than trying to do a heuristic algorithm to guess. Now you were saying millions of flows in the context of DPI, but that's actually a, uh, you know, and pointing out that it's, it's mission impossible when you're trying to scale that large. Yeah, and it becomes so insecure too, right? I mean, you, you, you don't want to just allow the flow and then how do you, I mean, that you could quite easily knock out that humongous. But it, it, it's actually a good segue into uh, VeloS scaling here with this application. How large of a UC system would VeloS apply to? Well, effectively, it's limited by the number of switches and the number of uh, the number of IPs that are effective that you have in the system. I mean, that, that, that's really the only scale limitation because you're dealing with it at the network level, right? There's no overlays here. This is actually real network ports. It's done in the real network, right? So you're not having to, you know, one of the problems with overlays is you can't set the priority of the underlying flow. This is the actual flow we're setting the priority on. So as long as that, uh, that switch 
that you're using can handle all the flows that you need for this. And believe me, you can get switches with millions of flows. And of course, you can simply scale up by you know, adding more. It will continue to scale to, to more and more places. I mean, Dan, you want to provide some more detail there? And, and what, what you said is exactly right. Our solution is actually a network-level solution. So it, it scales with the number of switches, the interconnects between them. And from a compute perspective, one of the cool things about this kind of an architecture is you're seldom looking at or actually never looking at, the, although we say we, we have a complete view of the network, you're really only dealing with those paths in the network that are affected by what's going on at this instant in time. So when you're tearing up or setting down connections, it's all about that path that you're considering at the moment. It's not about the millions of other ones that might be there. And likewise, when there are any network failures, which is something we haven't discussed yet either, if you have a link failure or a switch failure and you've thought ahead and have created multiple path capabilities in the network. So we, we can compute a new path in the network within milliseconds because we're only considering those that are actually affected by a failure. You know, in that case, we'll change a flow in some switches, use some links, some resiliency, new links, and uh, Skype for Business and the, the call itself. No one will probably notice that anything has even changed. So that's key, right? Because what you're not, sometimes people think of flow data as static and immovable, but you can actually pre calculate what flows, you'll know which flows are on which path. And then if this path is lost, then these are the only things you have to move. You don't have to wait for an entire routing table to reconverge and you stop forwarding data until the, you know, or anything like that. It's, it's quite seamless. Yes, exactly. You know, our control of the network is very dynamic. So we were talking about scale. Uh, another functionality question that popped in my head. Microsoft has been very big on IPv6. They've, they've pushed it hard. They're one of the leading operating system vendors, you know, for IPv6 uh, usability within their applications. And I don't know how far they've gotten with that on Skype for Business, but uh, but as far as that goes, what's the Velo's positioning on IPv6? How far have you guys gotten with the support for that? There are a variety of things you can do with IPv6. Uh, you can just simply run a network that has a much uh, broader address space, but most of the time you're also talking about, well, you know, are you what people call tunneling? Are you doing V6 over V4 or V4 and V6 or what other things you're trying to do? And uh, what's interesting is a lot of people talk about it, but we have yet to run into someone that's actually using that at any meaningful level, right? I mean, someone will run an IPv6 network and that's fine. It'll work. We are geared up to do these things and uh, we're, we're ready to help anyone one that wants to, but we, you know we need the use case to make it happen. Okay, so one of the things we're talking here is you know we had talked earlier about how the SDN controller needs to talk to the application. This must mean that there must be a really sophisticated kind of API in the link. Now, Microsoft historically hasn't been very good at making its applications open, accessible by outside forces. For that to happen, is that is that changed now? Is something changed around the way Microsoft goes to market there? It really has. Uh, Microsoft have heavily embraced with this API the, the standards bodies. So they've been working with both the IMTC and ONF to actually define this API. So they've actually turned it into an open standard and they've provided and, and created a very rich and very open API. I mean, this is a modern REST API that we use to be able to get all this information. They're evolving it to a two-way uh, API as well, so we'll be able to actually communicate back if there's problems in the network and you know, if there's the uh, any kind of a chance that we couldn't make the call for, let's say, the, there's no path available, we can actually let the Skype for Business 
the infrastructure know that there's a problem mm. and actually stop the call and inform the user in a, you know, with an actual usable error message, right, versus a general error kind of a scenario. Like normally what would happen is you would just get a message, you know, the call would drop, you get nothing. So exactly. What you're actually saying is, your as the call goes through from the link server, you can actually signal back and say insufficient bandwidth, or you know your call doesn't have enough priority, or, or these types of error messages. I'm not sure what exactly the error messages would be. Exactly. I mean, you could actually basically come back and say, "Sorry, there's a network outage. You know, please try again later." And versus, you know, either just fail, or maybe the signaling would get through, and then the media would be all gobbled, and you know. The, <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah, the signaling takes up a few kilobits, and exactly. but the data requires and, and 120 you know, kilobits. Exactly. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. The, the TCP signaling is pretty resilient. The, the media, on the other hand, not so much. <laughs> Gets a second best kind of thing. I think that's, again, you know, this is this change from doing it all in the network and being ignorant of what's around you to bringing the application into, like, binding the application and the network together to make it useful and relevant. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I really. Could, yeah. Really got to give Microsoft the kudos on this one because they've really built a an API that really does uh, you know fit with the modern network of being able to truly empower your network from the applications. Cool, that, that's really great to hear because you know, and most people are using Link for Business. Although my experience of Link over the years hasn't been fantastically. <laughs> <laughs> did, they, did they actually kill the Link brand? Is that gone now, and it's truly Pretty just much. Skype for Business? Pretty much, yeah. yeah Skype okay. for businesses, the and it's all around the you know the consumer experience of Skype and being able to you know extend that and and have it so that you to cut down the training and make it easier. But of course, you know the constant name changes are always a uh, always a challenge. <laughs> it is difficult. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, uh, the, the challenge around doing VoIP in the in the in the enterprise network is though it has always been that getting the quas right and we haven't been able to get it right in the network a lot of the time sometimes it, you know there's plenty of problems with Microsoft's voice link Skype for business server whatever it's called I'm sure but the network has to be contributing to it as well and and this it you know, this it solves uh, it and, and one of the things too that a lot of people forget about is you know when you looked at traditional IP telephony right so if you look at whether it was a Cisco or an Avaya or a Unify or whatever the particular system that traditionally was a handset it plugged into a different VLAN right and it set basically on a separate network and you would carve off in the network a certain amount of bandwidth for those calls to be able to work and everything was fine right. When you come along with Link Skype for Business, it's coming out of a single device, whether it be a PC, a Mac, a you know, mobile handset, an iPad, all the different devices mixed in with all this other traffic. And there was no way to discern what traffic was what other than DPI. Now, this API effectively says, no, hang on, I can actually say that this is the voice traffic, this is the video traffic, this is the content sharing traffic, I can actually prioritize, I can make sure that it goes through. I mean, to your earlier question, you know, do we do it at layer two? We could, but typically it's not differentiated that way because it's mm. all coming from the same device, right? So we've changed the paradigm. It was so easy in the days of, of, of voice over IP because you know, effectively it was always coming from a dedicated controlled network. That's not the case now. You've got Wi-Fi, you've got LT, you've got Starbucks, you know, you name it. Well, guys, why don't we bring this podcast to an end? Kevin, it would be good if you could tell folks where they can find uh, more about Sonus. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, visit our website, sonus.net. You can find uh, lots more information about our Velos products and uh, kind of understand and dive deeper. You're also from there, you can welcome to reach out, and one of us, uh, one of our team can can contact to provide you more information. We also have a great uh, series of dummies books as well that are available for download. Which uh, not that anybody's a dummy, but um, they do provide a nice uh, intro level anyway on a lot of this technology. <laughs> Maybe we need a guide for really smart people. Yeah, exactly. I've been mean, looking for the whole SDN for smarties, but I haven't seen it. <laughs> So Kevin, are you uh, you active socially? Is there uh, you know uh, can you, we follow you on Twitter or is there a place you blog? Anything like that? Well, absolutely. Myself, I'm going to be honest. I'm not the biggest social media user. However, our marketing team maintains SonusNet, so, so as a handle. So so at SonusNet, you can follow us on Twitter. Same on Facebook. So we are basically we'll provide all the latest updates, product wise, different shows we're at, etc. So yeah, you'll find lots of updates there on Twitter. And- Dan, what about you? Are you in the same boat? Not a lot of time to be active socially, uh, or, or, or is there somewhere we could find you? Does anybody uh, IRC anymore? Yeah, uh, there's actually a, a Packet Pushers channel on Freenode, which I haven't logged into in, oh gosh, probably a couple of months now, but last I knew, there was about 150 people in that room. All right, I, was talking, well, uh, I was talking to them this morning. They're a great bunch of people. Yeah, uh, actually, I use IRC quite a bit. Um, you can tell how old I am because of that. Um, I'm not active on any of the contemporary uh, social media, but uh, you know you can you can find me in various uh, email or IRC or things like that if you need to. That's perfect. All right, and I am Ethan Banks at EC Banks on Twitter. Greg is at Ethereal Mind. You can find us at PacketPushers.net and jump from there to other places that uh, that he and I blog. And of course, you can follow the show at Packet Pushers. Hey, thanks for listening to Packet Pushers today, and thank you to Sonus for sponsoring us today. And again, you can find this show and many more fine, free, technical podcasts along with our community blog at PacketPushers.net. One more time, you can follow us on Twitter at PacketPushers. You can also find us on LinkedIn. You could like us on Facebook. You could rate us on iTunes. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.